Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. I want to talk about the psychology of faithfulness and why the psychology of faithfulness. Because if our goal is to be invested in the Torah, is to be led by the Spirit, is to grow into image bearers. See, I see my life and I see all of our lives as a big circle. If you started here, and many of you are, let's say here, halfway through this journey of life, some of you are a little less, some of you are a little more, immature, more mature. We started out here. And here is who God created in your mother's womb. Before he formed you, he knew you. And what God created there was an unblemished, perfect soul that is created in his image. Before you got your hands on your life and messed it up. Before life got a hold of you and started kicking you in the tail. Before people put their impressions on you and and warped you and molded you in all kind of different ways, there is a starting point. And God says it is very good because it is his image. Okay? And then you're born into this world and you begin this cycle where, again, you mess your life up. People mess you up. Life messes you up. This, This life is like a minefield. And there are a lot of opportunities to be warped and bent and twisted. There are a lot of opportunities to have shame and guilt and be identified by those things. But at some point along your circle, you get introduced to a man named Yeshua. And he begins, he redeems you and begins to regenerate and restore and sanctify your life. And from that point on, that new birth... What I see in my mind is that path should be leading you back to where you began. The end of your life should be as close to God's forming you in the womb as you can possibly get. That is the purpose, after all, for Yeshua's coming anyway, is to restore, to deliver, to sanctify, to redeem, right? So my question is always, in, my, in the journey of my, in my circle, how close, am, every day, am I getting closer, am I regressing, or am I getting closer, well, I'm not regressing, time marches on. So I'm always getting closer to, to one day meeting, to returning to where I came from. When I get there, every day, am I getting closer to who that's supposed to be or further from it? You understand? And for so long, and this might be my baggage, if it is, forgive me. If it's some of yours, you're welcome. If it's not, log off, say Shabbat Shalom, go to sleep, whatever, we'll have lunch in a, in a minute. But my faith journey, my spiritual growth has been very out of my control for most of my life. What do I mean by that? Well, It's all about being led by the Spirit, right? And who says what I'm 
where I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do. It's all in an effort to find God's will always. Always searching to find God's will. Never knowing if I'm really found it or if it's a, if it is it the devil or is it me or is it God or what. And, and asking thousands of questions and never ever finding a destination. Always on a journey, never finding a destination. Now, in business, in your work, in our jobs, in skill sets, we have a destination. In order to, to maintain my, my position at work and maintain getting paid as an employee, I have to learn this set of skills. And by this point in time, I have to be fluent and, and be able to do these things because my boss requires it. In athletics, you better train to where you can hit this skill set at this time or else you're, you're not going to be on the team anymore, right? In every other area of life, we have goals, we have plans, we have things. But in our spiritual development, it doesn't seem to be that way for most people. It seems to be that I'm saved and I'm good. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's one, that's one attitude. Another attitude is, well, I just have to be led by the Spirit and not, I'm not doing anything until God says and confirms in the mouth of two or three witnesses and breaks open the heavens and sends a butterfly or wh- whatever the, the things are. But where I'm, I finally want to take control of my own spiritual destiny. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean take control from God? Listen, that's an idiotic question. People say, well, I'm not motivated to study like you do or like Kyle does or like, I, I just, I don't know how, I, don't, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't do these things, I can't, you know, whatever. And the truth of the matter is that when it comes down to our spiritual growth and our effectiveness in the kingdom for God, I'm going to use the word also adherence. Adherence is sticking to a plan, regardless. Adherence or faith, faithfulness is almost everything to our effectiveness in the kingdom to our impact in the kingdom adherence or faithfulness is almost everything now, i'm going to talk about almost in a second but i just want to read a few verses with you lamentations 3 22 and 23 because of the mercies of adonai we will not be consumed for his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness we can take God's faithfulness for granted. He'll always be there. No big deal. I don't ever have to worry about God not being there. If it's so important that God is faithful, shouldn't it be as important that we in return are faithful? Should his faithfulness lull us into a sense of I don't have to care because God is going to be there? Or should his faithful, his extreme faithfulness in our lives, you know the faithfulness that when you turned away, he was still there. When you cursed his name, you were still there. When he delivered you from something for the umpteenth time and you went back and did it like a dog to its vomit, he was still there. I'm talking about God's radical faithfulness. Does it lull us into a sense of, well, he's there. I can just, I can just relax and do whatever I want and sit on my spiritual haunches or does it challenge you to be more faithful in your own life first samuel 26 23 adonai will repay everyone for his righteousness and his faithfulness listen to that verse now it's pulled out of its context granted go read the context that's fine adonai will repay everyone for his righteousness and faithfulness 
which is not only negative, it is. In other words, if you're not righteous and not faithful, you're going to be repaid for that. But on the flip side, if you are righteous and you are faithful, you get repaid for that. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, justice and mercy and faithfulness. How you keep Shabbat, I don't care. Do you keep Shabbat in some sense? Are you pursuing that? Do you eat biblically according to the way God? Do you put stuff in your body that God says not to? How you do that is not as much of a big deal as are you pursuing some sort of adherence? Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The very manifestation of God's presence in our life is faithfulness. Faithfulness or adherence is almost everything. Why do I say almost? I say almost because we're not perfect. Baruch Hashem, that we can do all the work, we can put in all the effort to be as faithful and as adherent to God's call and God's plan as we want to, and yet we're never going to match up. We're never going to be perfect. And so while faithfulness is almost everything, there is still mercy. Thank God for his mercy. We use the term motivation sometime and we go like, well, I'm not motivated to study. I'm not motivated. I just don't feel motivated to pray. I don't feel motivated to, you know, to, to keep the commandments as much as I used to. And, and we use motivation. You remember when you first were, 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 uh, when the Torah was first given to you? Do you remember how motivated you were to study? We, we go into what I call sponge mode, right? Many of you went into sponge mode. It was like every YouTube video, every article, every website, every, it didn't matter if it was shady or not, or looked like it was, you know, some guy in his basement, you know, whatever, just, just, just take in all the, 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 anything that looked Hebraic in any way, shape or form, just, just sponging everything. It was motivation. You were motivated. And many times we go, well, like, I'm not motivated like I used to be to pursue God. And it can be in the area of study. It can be in prayer. It can be in worship. Whatever. Motivation actually means something more specific. When most people say motivation, what they actually mean is adherence or faithfulness. It's not that you're not motivated to study. It's not that you're not motivated to see God. It's not that you're not motivated to pray. It's not that you're not motivated to, to keep the commandments. It's that you lack adherence. You lack faithfulness. You want to be faithful. I believe everybody in this room and everybody watching the live stream, you want to be more faithful than you are right now. And why does this message come at this time? Why am I doing this today? Because we've just left Shavuot. With the things we've talked about. Where are we going? We're going to Rosh Hashanah. Which is the beginning of judgment. And if you remember last Rosh Hashanah, last Yom Kippur. Last year during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I challenged you and told you that this year. You didn't have to repent from all the sins that you did last year. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to be in the same place that you were last year. You should have less of a list to repent for this year. 
You should be better in your character, better in your, in your discipline, better in your willpower, better in who you are. You should have less and less every Yom Kippur. That's the way that the festivals are trying to work. They're trying to refine us and make us in the image of Messiah. You've been given the Torah and you've got basically three months in between Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah. You've got three months for God to say, I gave you this. Now let's see what you've done with it. That's where we're heading. Reminiscent of something in the Gospels? That's the time we're in right now. This message comes right now because I want you to be able to stand before God and say, this is what I did with what you gave me this year. That's what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are supposed to be. Not, oh, forgive me for being a wretch. It should be, this is what I did with what you gave me last year. And you know what? A lot of that is not, quote unquote, the Spirit's business. A lot of what we do with God, what God calls us to, has nothing to do with being led or not led by the Spirit, being empowered or not empowered by the Spirit, being being convicted or compassionate or moved or what all the things that we say, the junk that we say in order to remain spiritually lazy. It has nothing to do with any of that. It, what it has to do is taking control over your spiritual growth like it would be on a job and you were responsible to learn a set of skills or else you're going to get fired. That's what we're talking about. Because judgment day is coming. I don't talk about, I don't talk a lot about like this, but this is how I think about my life. So when most people say motivation, they actually mean adherence. So adherence, very simply, is the ability to stick to a course of action. And I'm going to say adherence or faithfulness. Faithfulness is the ability to stick to a course of action. That's what we're talking about. Any biblical topic, you want to research something, you want to study something, um, a biblical mandate or commandment or mitzvah, um, a, a practice, a scriptural passage, a history, geography, culture, um, any any of those things that you choose to to invest in will be profitable to your spiritual journey. We're like, well, what are you studying? Oh, I'm just waiting to be led. No, stop. Stop waiting to be led and invest in something. Pick something. Anything you decide to study scripturally will be profitable to your spiritual journey. Why? Because everything we study scripturally, according to in, in kingdom stuff, is all creating that world that we can walk around in. Right? And here's a radical statement. The details don't matter as much as you think they do. The de- well, I want to get it right. Let me just let you in on a little. Hopefully this will help to. (sighs) There is no such thing as right. That'll be clipped and posted somewhere. This preacher said there's no such thing as right and wrong. Whatever. (laughs) What do you mean by right? Right according to whom? Well, according to the Bible. According to whose reading of the Bible? Right according to which denomination, which sect of Judaism, which which group of scholarship. Because they don't all agree. Nobody agrees on everything. The details don't matter as much as you think. When we're talking about study in particular, what's important is to learn how to study. 
Not necessarily what to study. Well, are you saying we can go study the occult and that'll be profitable? I think anybody that makes that assumption, it, their heart's not right and they're trying to be facetious. No. Biblical things, again, customs, traditions, geography, culture, myths, you know, commandments, statutes, scripture, all those things, theology, all that kind of stuff. The details don't matter as much as we think they do. Because what happens is along the process of spiritual growth, whether that's in whatever area that is, you learn how to navigate and discern what is good and what is bad. I hear people, sometimes maybe you hear this. I hear people all the time talk about, like, well, that's bad scholarship. How the heck do you know? Well, that's, you know, this, this, this rabbi, that's not, you know, he's not really that, you know, he's not kosher. Well, how do you know? When you don't know anything about a topic, how do you know what's good information or bad information? And that's where a lot of people, I know a lot of you guys have frustration. Is like, Well, I'd love to study this, but how do you even know where to start? What I'm telling you is that you start. And once you start, you start to build a world you can walk around in. And then you start to go, well, like, oh, wait a second. That's not good. Oh, this guy's got... You start to build that world. The details don't matter as much as you think. Success is generally determined by your ability to adhere or stay faithful to a course of action and let wisdom develop. Because that's what happens. When you start to study a topic or you start to embark on a, a, a part of your spiritual journey that is new to you, it seems impossible. But if you have some stick to and you can stick to it, I was going to get it out eventually, and you can stick to it, you become more and more comfortable as you walk it out. And wisdom begins to develop. Remember we talked about the Dunning-Kruger curve a few months ago? The idea of the Dunning-Kruger you know, effect is that once you get through the valley of despair and you come up to the, like, the plateau of, you know, like, okay, what is that? It kicks in as it's wisdom. You don't just know facts, but you've lived with the facts. You've realized which facts you can live and which ones you can't. You've realized which facts work and which ones don't. You've realized there's wisdom that sets in. Knowledge is facts, it's truth, it's information, it's good. But wisdom is lived knowledge. Where knowledge is tested and tempered by time and experience, right? And that happens in the learning process. So just imagine this. Instead of everybody sitting on their spiritual haunches, making lazy, lame excuses for not growing spiritually... Instead of that being the norm in, in Christendom, in the kingdom, what if there was a systematic way that we could grow our level of adherence, our faithfulness to God, and actually have a goal of who I want to become and actually become that person? What if there was a, such a thing that exists? Well, there is. And let me just say, if this feels too systematic or scientific and not spirit-led enough... Just ask yourself, because I've had this issue before, so I can hear some people saying it. Well, I don't want to get ahead of God. Have you ever said that to yourself, or is that just me? I don't want to get ahead of God. Like, that's really toxic, right? Ask yourself this question. In your spiritual growth, who's capping your potential? God? Is God going like, well, I don't want you to grow that much? No! God over in his word goes like, be like me, I'm holy. We're the ones that are capping our spiritual growth. There is no cap. 
There is no getting ahead of God. My, our friend Jeff Morton, who I was watching earlier, might still be on. Jeff, he, he wrecked my brain. Jeff said, like, I believe that if, if, I believe that God is waiting for us to go, you know what, God, I want to do X, Y, Z, and God going, cool, let's do it together. God, I want to learn how to do whatever. Cool, let me, let me do it with you. Instead of, God, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to move until you say. If this feels like this might lack again being the spirit, sometimes when we say spirit led, we mean like passion and spontaneity. If you're like, if you're a creative person like that, and you think like, well, yeah, but if this is systematic, then it's kind of staunch and cold and it's not going to give me any room for spontaneity and creativity and being quote unquote spirit led. Sometimes I think when we talk about being spirit led, we think like I'm doing my thing, I'm walking, I'm, I'm doing my, I'm being faithful to God, I got my stuff and then the spirit speaks and all of a sudden, oh, I got to run over here. And I'm walking and I'm doing good and everything. I've been obedient to God. All of a sudden the spirit speaks. Oh, I'm going to run over here. That means being spirit led. What? Like that, that seems like um, a seizure. It's like a spiritual seizure is what we're really expecting spirit led to be. No, if you think what I'm about to talk to you about lacks spontaneity and creativity and all that, just wait till the end. Okay. So there are six constructs, what we're going to call constructs of adherence or faithfulness. Six constructs of adherence are faithfulness. This is, this is psychology. This is science. Like, th- this is tested and tried and documented and researched, right? It's, it's a system that we're given because science is of God. Did you know that? Like, I know in a lot of, and maybe in some other past, you know, previous lives that you've been in, science and God always conflict. I know, like, man, growing up, our church, little small Southern Baptist church, churches we were in was scared to death. Like if you were a church member and you had a problem and you even, in, well, no, you didn't. You didn't want to be cast out of the community. You didn't even ent- entertain going to a therapist because that was like witchcraft or something. Well, but like, well, like I'm here every Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Sunday night, and I'm not getting any better. So I got to do something. Oh, but that's like witchcraft. Like, I mean, the sciences were, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're demonic. What is science? Science is man's curiosity about the world that God created. Science is human beings exploring in curiosity, which God gave us, BT dubs, and our exploration of the world around us and coming up with ideas about how this stuff works. Instead of just saying, well, it's all God, praise God, bless God. That's not an answer. Well, God did it, amen. So, how? That's a God-given curiosity. So the idea that godly things and scientific things should be, again, no. They should be one and the same. Now, are there some scientists that have some wacky ideas? 100%. Are there some quote-unquote believers that have wacky ideas? 100%. Okay. So these constructs, they occur in phases. Sometimes sometimes they have a beginning and an end. Sometimes they last throughout the process. Sometimes they only come in at the end, whatever. They're different things. But these are the building blocks that make up a faithful life. These are the building blocks that, that create faithfulness. And so we can literally break our growth up into these phases and these things to better understand where we're doing really good in faithfulness and adherence to to Hashem and where we're lacking and we need to do a little bit better. Imagine taking control of your spiritual growth. 
and your faith mission, whatever your assignment is, by understanding each one of these things and doing the right thing at the right time. You can hack your spiritual growth. And I know this might sound like, man, you should be like on TBN or whatever, but this is a message for two. I'm, this is, this is, this is truth. This is God's truth revealed through the science of psychology. And I think it's pretty stinking cool. The, the biggest key to our spiritual growth, again, I'm going to hammer this, not because I don't believe in the leading of the Spirit, guys. You understand that. It's not that I don't believe in the leading of the Spirit. However, the leading of the Spirit and what we think that is has been so twisted and warped that we don't even know what it actually is. And therefore, the, the Spirit leading us is not beneficial to us anyway. Because our understanding of it is warped. What's the key to all of this? Is not how is not how sensitive you are to the spirit. The key to this is your mindset. Your mindset. I know it's real new agey, right? It's real Joel Osteeny. Your mindset. If this is a Joel Osteen type of message, send me the offerings that he would get. And um, okay, so here are here are the six here are the six uh, constructs of adherence or faithfulness. Number one, inspiration. Number two, motivation. Number three, intention. Number four, discipline, which is probably my favorite one. It's not at all what you think. Number six, habit. Number, I'm sorry, number five, habit. Number six, passion. Okay? So we're going to go through these one at a time. Uh, Can I do it in eight minutes? Probably not, but we'll try. And by the way, I'll post these notes to the teaching later on so you guys can have them. Um, so let's talk about inspiration. We're going to talk about these in, in, in four different ways. Each construct, we're going to ask, what is it? What is it good for? What is it not good for? And then how can we enhance it or boost it? Inspiration, what is it? Inspiration is the spark that gets you to want to move closer to God. To seriously pursue your calling to study a topic, enhance your observance, etc. Whatever it is you want to do, it's the spark. It's the, I think I can do this. I want to do this. It's the goosebumps, right? It's the, the excitement in your, in, your, in your stomach. What is it good for? What is inspiration good for? It's good for getting you to start. That's it. It's good for getting you up off your haunches and moving in a direction. The, the, one of the hardest parts for some people is inspiration. I just don't feel like it. I don't have any passion. And see, sometimes we mistake passion for inspiration. We're not lacking passion. Sometimes you're lacking inspiration. It's to get you to start. Number two, what is it not good for? Inspiration is not good for sustaining you longer than a day, maybe. (laughs) Inspiration is not a long burn concept. Inspiration may happen in 30 seconds and then be gone. Right? How many of you gone to a movie? Like, uh, the, the one that sticks out, I know this is dated, I just can't, I don't have a more recent um, example. Um, how many of you remember seeing Rocky for the first time? 
and he's running up the steps in his in his you know sweatsuit and he's you know he's doing these drinking eggs and whatever. How many of you guys and maybe ladies? I mean, I don't want to be you know. You walked out of the theater and you were. I'm gonna get in shape, man. Freaking Rocky. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't Rocky. Maybe it was another movie. How long does that last? Do you go home and start drinking eggs? Are you running around town in the heat of summer in a gray sweatsuit? No. It probably lasts till you get to the car and you're like, nah. Let's go have pizza buffet or something. Like, right? Because yeah, I'll start tomorrow. Because that's what inspiration is. Inspiration is is that like, yeah, let's do it. Nah. Ah, really, really, really like chocolate cake. Right? That's what that inspiration is. And here's, you have, some of you have been a part of churches. All Sunday morning is, is a big hype session. And what happens is people get all, all in their feels for an hour or whatever. And they're going to live for God and they fall down on the altar and the floor and they cry and they wail and all this stuff. And by the time they get to the car, they're no more want to be closer to God. By the time they take their afternoon nap and wake up and be like, yeah, that's going to be too much work. Inspiration is not supposed to sustain you. It's only supposed to get you going. How do we enhance it? In a positive sense, be around inspirational people. Be around people that are doing something, right? That are, that are moving and shaking and causing things to happen. In a negative sense, sometimes we can be inspired by just seeing how bad we're doing faithfully in our, in our faithfulness, right? So you go like, I really stink at X, Y, Z. And that maybe can cause some inspiration to do better, right? Another way we enhance it is by seeing other people overcome adversity and grow in faithfulness. That's inspirational, right? That's inspiring to see other people overcome adversity. You go like, if they can do it, I can do it, right? But what we can't do is we can't allow, we can't think and expect inspiration to carry us through to the goal. It's not designed that way. So if you go like, I'm just not inspired. Well, then find something to get inspired, but then understand that it's going to take more than just inspiration to get you to where you want to go. Right. All right. So the question is, what inspires you? What inspires you? Can you think? Could you write down three things that inspire you? Could you write down two people that inspire you? Could you what inspires you to chase after the thing that God, uh, you know, a part of the kingdom, a part of, uh, you know, study, theology, prayer, worship, whatever it is. What inspires you? Find those things and know what they are. I used to get so, you know, I loved for years and years and years for like 15 years of my ministry. I did summer camps. With teenagers. Led worship, taught, ran camps, produced camps, did all the things for camps, whatever. They were so much fun. I loved doing summer camps. The only negative part about summer camps is that you have this humongous high at super camp. And then the kids back get back home and in two, and not even two weeks. Sometimes on the bus ride home from the retreat to home, you, you've done this thing. Where everybody's like, yeah, and then they're like, oh, it's Derrida City Limits. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. On second thought. That's what inspiration looks like. All right, second is motivation. Motivation, what is it? Motivation is a goal. 
It's a goal. It's the inner desire to want to become and grow more faithful or more adherent. That's motive. I'm motivated to do this thing. Inspiration got me going. Now I'm moving. Motivation is good for fueling your adherence day by day when inspiration has waned. Isn't that cool? Motivation is for fueling your faithfulness day by day when you're not inspired anymore. When inspiration has gone, then what do you do? Most of us just give up and just go like, well, that must have been a passing thing. That must have not been God. That must have been me I was listening to. Maybe that was the enemy that I was listening to, and that's why I don't feel it anymore. Right? Do you play your, those games with yourself, or am I the only toxic one here? Maybe it, maybe it's, maybe it wasn't the Spirit leading me because I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel inspired anymore. No! That's not what happened at all. Just like I talked several months ago, again, another message you should all remember, um, <laughs> about nobody ever told me that after a spiritual high, I would be super depressed. Nobody ever told me that! No, it was the enemy that was attacking me. No, it's not. It's psychology. That after you have a, an endorphin rush, they don't just go back to normal, they crater before they come back up to normal. How much pain and anguish would that have saved me in my spiritual life knowing like, this is going to happen, it's natural, expect it. In the same way, inspiration, the thing that gets you excited, is not going to last. We need motivation to pull us through those times where inspiration wanes. What is it not good for? It's not good for your support every day. Because just like inspiration, boop, big jump, motivation waxes and wanes as well. Right? Sometimes you're motivated, sometimes you're not. How do we enhance motivation? Have a clear end goal. This is so important. Where is the Spirit leading you? Well, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? Only the Spirit knows where He's leading me. Okay, then let's change the question. Stop asking yourself, God, what is your will? Stop asking that question. Stop asking God what you should do, what He wants you to do, where you should be, who you should be with, what you should be doing. Stop asking those questions. Stop. Because here's also what the Bible tells us. As much as we should be following God's will and led by His Spirit, the Bible also tells us that God has given us the desires of our heart. Now, with that, that does not mean that we desire something and God gave it to us. It means that if we desire something, God gave that desire to us. Do you see the difference in that scripture? God gives you the desires of your heart. Well, I, des- I desire a Lamborghini. Amen. Yeah. I desire to be about 160 pounds of shredded manliness. My wife even desires that. Double portion desire should mean that God gives us what we want, right? We have read those scriptures before and go, but God, I really desire it. Why doesn't it happen? Because that's not the way to read that verse. The way to read that verse is that if you desire something godly, God gave you that desire. Stop waiting on him to give you another one and go pursue the one he gave you. Like Jeff says, dream to do something. Dream to do something. And then let God come along for the ride. 
Well, that makes God your co-pilot, not your pilot. No, we got to get out of this thinking. God is not limiting our growth. God is not limiting our effectiveness. God is not capping us in any way or capacity. We do that because we're afraid. We're afraid to dream. We're afraid to get out there. So have a clear end goal. Do you want to learn Hebrew? Great. Say in three months, I'm going to have the alphabet and the vowels memorized. Have a goal. Do you want to increase your prayer life? Good. I'm going to pray Shakarit prayer service every day for the next three weeks. Have a goal. I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z by this time. By Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to ask everybody like I did with the Omer. By Rosh Hashanah, have some goals. I want to be better in this area. I want to be more faithful in this area. I want to be more knowledgeable in this area. I want to be more consistent, more adherent, more faithful in this area. Have some goals. Let the festivals that Hashem gave us be those times where you set a goal by each one of those festivals. Number two, again, being around positive people that are motivated. Number three, seeing positive results from others and yourself, I'll add, and letting that sink in. Seeing other people, I'm inspired by you guys all the time. Six months ago, we started learning Hebrew. About six months ago, eight months ago, whatever it was. We went through a few weeks, a couple months of learning Hebrew. Now we are learning a foreign ancient language we miss how incredible that is right and you guys on wednesday night you learned how to read or you're learning how to read a foreign ancient language and and you get frustrated with yourselves because like well i can't follow it it's a foreign ancient language and yet kyle was the only one really that could lead us in the shema and vihafta now, Nikki's reading it every single week. She leads us in the Shema and Vihafta. In six months, you learn how to read a foreign ancient language. What? Like, it gives me goosebumps. That's inspiring. When somebody comes up and goes, I was reading this, I found this, it's inspiring. We need to be around people. Like, we need each other for that. And lastly, overcome temptations and be proud of that. Motivation is enhanced by overcoming those little temptations and being proud of those things. It's okay to be proud of yourself when you're growing towards God. You should be able to look in the mirror and go, you're doing a great job. God is proud of you. Keep going. Number three, we're halfway there. I hope you all are enjoying this. Intention. What is intention? Intention is a commitment to a plan, which means you have to have a plan. We have a goal. Now, what is going to be your plan? That's your intention. Intention is good for setting up clear what to do and what not to do instructions. Here's the big intentional phase in the Bible. You ready? God tells Israel, be holy as I am holy. That's the what? Goal. That's the motivation. To be holy. What's the intention? The Torah. It's what to do and what not to do instructions. See? That's intention. This is baked into how God deals with us. Intention is good for what to do and what not to do. It's not good as it doesn't enforce itself. You still have to do the work. You have to, it's not a self-perpetuating thing. You have to do the work and work the plan. We enhance it by number one, having a clear plan to follow. You wanna, you wanna get better at Hebrew. Do you have books? Do you have some audio stuff to listen to? Having the tools and the plan that you need to follow. Giving yourself some wiggle room, but not too much. 
Some of you have the same damage I do. And if you can't do it perfectly, you're not going to do it at all. If I can't be the best, not doing it at all. That's toxic. Don't be like that. Give yourself not, not too much wiggle room, but give yourself some mercy along the process. And number three, having accountability. Have someone that can go, hey, how's your process going? How's your growth going? How's your faithfulness going? Without intention, I love this quote. I don't know who said it, so I didn't credit it. Without intention, goals are just wishes. Number four, discipline. I love this one. I'm going to try not to nerd out too much. What is discipline? How many of you, you've, like, you've been told, you've heard all your life, like, discipline is the key to everything. What if I told you that discipline is not the bee's knees like we've made it out to be? For some of you, you go like, oh, I don't believe that's not, that's not kosher. And for some of you, you might be like, oh, thank God. Because discipline's so hard, right? What is discipline? Okay. Discipline is the willpower that you need to meet your intention. So intention is the plan. Motivation is the goal. Intention is the plan. Willpower, the discipline is the willpower you need to meet your intention. Now this is going to make sense when we get to the graph in a second. What is it good for? It's good for closing the gaps. Willpower is good for closing the gaps between motivation and intention on those low days when your adherence is not great, so that your faithfulness stays on point. What is it not good for? Discipline is not good for sustainable use. Now that's going to fly in the face of what a lot of us think. I got to be disciplined. I just got to. I just got to willpower, and I just got to. Just got to grind through it. You know, you just grit it out. But we think we have to live like that. But just like inspiration is not meant to, care, meant to carry you long terms, neither is discipline. Discipline is not good for sustainable use. Willpower, and many of you will, if you'll admit this is true, willpower runs out quickly and it needs to be recharged regularly. We need motivation to be close to good enough to our intentions for discipline to be able to bridge the gap over and over. So how do we enhance it? Number one, know that there will be hard times and don't be surprised by it. You have a goal and it's probably a big goal. You got a plan to get there. That's great. You know that it's not going to be easy. Just know that ahead of time. Just like knowing that you're going to be depressed after God really moves. Just know there's going to be hard times along your journey. Number two, accountability is huge here. You have to have people in your life, whether directly or indirectly, that are making sure that you're still moving towards your goal. Number three, practice your willpower. Exerting willpower will, will make the, will make the willpower, your capacity for willpower grow and will make it recharge more quickly. Some people have incredible willpower. Like Navy SEALs, professional athletes, like they're just all willpower. Some of you on social media, you may know this name, this guy named David Goggins, right? His mouth is a dumpster fire, but my God, he's motivated. Like he's just like, every other word is an abomination, but good God, he can get you up off your butt and get you moving. Like he's amazing. He's just sheer willpower 24-7. Most of us don't, are not like that though. And I... I was never taught that willpower is only supposed to be good in spurts. This is what it looks like in real life. You're facing one tough thing and you're holding up pretty good. 
Your attitude's good. You're making it. Then another tough thing comes along. Now you're divided. And now you're having to exert willpower to stay above two things. And then a third thing comes. And now your will, your, your grit to just have a good character, be joyous, be godly is now split among three tough things. And you ever hear, you ever say, or you hear people say like, I just, I don't know how long I can do this, or I can't do this anymore, or I'm done, I'm done adulting today, or whatever. What is that? That's willpower that has been depleted. It doesn't mean that your heart's not right. It doesn't mean that you're, you've backslid. It doesn't mean that you're a negative Nancy and you need to get some faith. It doesn't mean any of that. It means your willpower is depleted because no human is supposed to be able to do this consistently. And so we need to practice this. When our motivation is high, we don't need discipline. It's easy. You don't need to grit it out when you feel like doing it. When your motivation, man, I'm really motivated today. So living a life after God is not a life of discipline. Many of us have been taught that. This is a life of extreme discipline. Discipleship is all about discipline. No. Discipline is a part of the whole construct of growth, right? All right. Number five, we've got two more left. Thank y'all for sticking with me. Number five is habit. What is it? Habit is the automation of faithfulness so that motivation waxes and wanes less over time. You can automate your faithfulness. You can get to a point in the growth process where faithfulness is just automatic. It's just what you do. No striving, no, no gritting, no nothing. Where, where motivation waxes and wanes less and less over time. It's awesome. What is it good for? It's good for creating less of a demand for discipline, which is a short supply anyway, and raising the ability to be consistently faithful. This is where most of us really want to, really want, have a hard time getting to, the habitual stage. It's not good for giving you that initial spark and making you fall in love with the process of growing and being faithful. We enhance it by having the tools we need easily accessible. So whatever that means, um, if you're on a diet, the number one key to being successful on your diet, in my opinion, is having healthy stuff in your refrigerator. Having the tools you need accessible so that you don't go, oh man, it's lunchtime, I hadn't even thought about lunch, I don't have anything prepared. Well, what's the easiest thing to do? Well, I'll run to town, Right? And then you're scarfing down a 1600 calorie Big Mac meal. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Your, 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 your arteries are literally clogging as you order it, right? So, in our spiritual life, having the tools that we need easily accessible for whatever your goal is, is key to being habitual. Number two, having a schedule. A schedule is important. And number three, just having time. Just spending time practicing your habit. As your habit increases, your adherence goes up and your motivation, that, that gap is closed. So see, you need less and less discipline. The more something becomes a habit, you need less and less discipline. Eventually, faith, whatever thing you're pursuing, commandments, again, customs, study, prayer, whatever it might be, those things can become automated. They can become automatic. That doesn't mean that there's no life in them, that means that they become who you are, not just something you do, right? All right, lastly, passion. For some people, this has been the thing that's been missing through this whole presentation. But where's the passion? This all seems real cold and, and systematic. 
Here's the thing about passion. We mistake inspiration for passion. We mistake motivation for passion. Those things are not, we have those things backwards. We go, well, we got to get people passionate about God. My job as a, as a pastor is to get you passionate about the Torah. What is passion? Passion is the love of the process of growing. Passion is not the love of the end result. Passion is a love of the process. That's hard. Like, I'm passionate for worship. Are you passionate for the feeling you get or the end result? Or are you passion, passionate about what it takes to be a worshiper? What is it good for? Passion is good for fueling faithfulness to insane levels. This is so cool. Passion is good for fueling faithfulness beyond where you ever thought you could be. What is it not good for? Passion is not something we can just get in a few weeks. Passion is something that takes months and years to develop. Again, if you're thinking, yeah, but I'm passionate about things or whatever. No, you're inspired or you're motivated. Passion is not that, we think of passion as that like that flame, right? That like, oh, oh, I want to do this. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm excited. That's not passion. That's inspiration. Or like, I really feel like I could do this today. I really feel like studying today. That's not passion. That's motivation. Passion is what happens when you've done all the other groundwork. Passion is not something that comes quickly. How do we enhance it then? We let the successes of our growth get in our bones. Where we begin to be people not who can't do something, but who have done something. By Rosh Hashanah, I want us all to be able to stand before God and say, this is what you gave me. And I didn't wait on you to lead me. I took the initiative myself because what you gave me, God, is so precious. I took the initiative and I did something with what you gave me. That's how much I appreciate and respect you as the king. I never want to come before you empty-handed.